What's up, Dallas? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin, and we are here with the biggest guest physically that I've ever had on Out of Character. Welcome, Amos, to the show, everyone. Give it up. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Thanks for having me. I want to start off asking what I ask every one of my guests on the show, and that's how much of your real true self is there in the character you play on TV right now? Part of it, I pull from stuff from my past. So part, not all of it, because I have to keep some for myself, but a part of that is in that character. Well, you know, when I, in the few interactions that I've had with you in person, you strike me as a much more like a, not nice, because I don't know, was your character considered nice or not, but you're a very like kind-hearted soul, I feel like. Would that be a nice way to describe you? Better, good way to describe you? Yeah, that's a great way to describe me. Yeah, I'll take that, yeah. Do you think that you've kind of had to develop that because of your imposing size? I think so, um, because I realized, you know, me walking around, ever since I was a kid, because I think around like, when I was 11, I was about like 6'1", and people were kind of intimidated by me, so I always had to, you know, always carry myself in a certain way and not be uh, overly aggressive, because I knew people would fear me. Yeah. Not to say I don't have that side of me, it's there, but I knew that after, at an early age, I had to learn that there was a the right time and the right place to bring that out. So I want to get to that growth spurt, but before we get there, yes. uh, I read a profile on you and it talked about, you know, your, the, where you grew up, all that kind of stuff. And yes. in it, I, was, I found it interesting that it said, one of your real passions is art. Yes, I am an artist. I, I, growing up, I wanted to be an artist. This is crazy. I used to paint and draw from sunup till sundown and spend all my money on art supplies. And I still do to this day. It's a bad habit. And it's something I always wanted to do I think God had other plans for me. He made me a large human being. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my favorite part of the article. It was like, it talked about how when you were like 12, when you got like a big growth spurt, uh -huh. that they were like, I'm sorry, I know you don't really care about sports, but you basically have to play basketball yeah, now. Because what was going on was my aunt used to work at, a, there's a place in Lagos Center called the National Stadium. And my aunt used to work for the, used to work for the Sports Federation and in, in the tennis department, she was a treasurer. So every summer, to have us go play uh, tennis, right? Long tennis, and we'll play long tennis in the summertime. And I said it when I was like eight years old, we'll go every summertime, right? And then by the time I hit my large growth spread and I went, the coaches were like, ah, uh, so he's too big to play tennis. He needs to go play basketball. And mom was like, okay, do you guys know somebody, somebody that can teach him? And it was right there, like, go play basketball. That's how I got thrown into the world of basketball. Had you? Played that? Had you seen basketball at that I had, point? I had seen it, watch highlights on, on on TV, but never really had any interest in it. It was just something that just kind of fell on my lap. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Before we get into the basketball stuff, yes. tell me about growing up where you grew up. Because I feel like a lot of people, you know, don't have like a accurate idea of like what it was like for you growing up. So tell me. Uh, I grew up in in a place called Kitsilakpere in Lagos, Nigeria. It's, it's a little small. Uh, small rural city um it was my mom my younger brother myself and my dad and my older brother always went to boarding school so he was never really around and um i had i had a regular childhood i don't you know think so for anything but it's typical third world country living no power you know trying to figure out what to eat and what you guys are gonna how you gonna fend for yourself and you know that's the struggles of a developing nation yeah well i i from someone like me who has no frame of reference for that, I mean, to hear that you were having to figure out like where you were gonna eat and stuff, like that that's crazy to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of people don't think about those things, and I think those things have added into my view of how I view life as a whole. And always being grateful and appreciated for everything that's given to me and not take it for granted. Yeah, I mean, that article said that when you were doing art, that it was basically like by candlelight because you guys barely had power. Yeah, we it used to be like candlelight at the nighttime painting to like 1 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> which is, in hindsight, is bad for my eyesight. <laughs> but it was just, when you're a child, you don't think about those things. Especially when you're having fun, you're just doing it, just do it. So that's just how it was, you know. Um, okay, so then the, the, the growth spur. Yeah. How old were you when you like actually started to grow rapidly? So by the time, from what I remember, by the time I was 11, I was about six, six foot six one. And by the time I was like 13, I was like six three. And between 13 and 15, I had a huge growth spurt. And by the time I was 15, I was 6'11". Oh my God. Right? And then I started playing basketball when I was 13. When I was 13. Yes, I started playing basketball when I was 13. So I was this, I was this like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, kid. And within a span of two, two years, I just kept on growing. It was crazy. Was there any like, because I know that eventually you figured out why, and we'll get to that. Yes. But when it first started happening, did you guys think there was anything abnormal happening? No, that is when I was just a grown boy, because I used to eat a lot, and it was like, well, he's just growing, and he was just fine. I do remember I used to have, like, I used to wear glasses before, and I used to have terrible eyesight, and we just thought it was my eyesight. Come to find out, which we're gonna get to later on, why that was happening, but I used to wear glasses, so we just thought, okay, it just had problem with his eyes. And I used to have, like, this blackouts every now and then when I was a kid. We, we didn't know for what reason. Crazy. Crazy. I used to have like, this just black, like, complete blackout. I couldn't see anything. And we did all the, with the technology they had in Nigeria, we did all we could, but just couldn't figure out what it was. Man, did you almost feel like, because you were so into art and that was like your passion, but then because of your size, you had to play basketball. Did you almost feel like you were doing a job from a young age because it was like something that you kind of had to do since this was, you had this gift? Not necessarily. I think when I started playing basketball, it was, it was, um, it was tough because I had to, I wasn't a very athletic kid. Had to, I had to learn how to be athletic, and I think basketball gave me a lot of tools for that. And actually, my younger brother, he's not as big as I am. He's small, actually. He's, I always call him, he's a, he's a freak after. He's, whatever you give, he, whatever you give him to do, he's ever done before. All he needs is one lesson, and he, he picks it up like this. Me, I have to continuously practice and practice and practice to just learn and absorb things. So that's just how, this my learning process. And um, just the basketball stuff, it was, I just enjoyed it as a kid. It wasn't like, oh, during the summertime, go play basketball, and I was just having fun. And it wasn't until when I went to the camp, even then, it was just, it was always fun. It was, it was always fun, because really, I really enjoyed it. It was something different. It was a sport that is not very popular in Western Africa. I mean, I don't know if you guys know, I said of the USA, soccer is like the number one, actually, foot, the real football <laughs> is the number one sport, okay? The real football. So, played soccer growing up, so basketball was something new, and I enjoyed it. Was it scary though, like when you started growing like that, like just for you personally? No, I, no, not at all. I just took it as it came. I didn't, I didn't think too much about it. So then, you go to that camp, and yes. you got, basically picked up. So where did you, you got a scholarship to come to the United States to play? So what happened was I went to this, during my first year of training basketball, um, Masai Ujiri, who's the uh, president of the Toronto Raptors, he's Nigerian, he came and did a camp in Nigeria. And the year, the year prior, they had done a test run. 
right? So the, the year that I go to this camp, they already knew all the kids coming back for the camp. Now they already had a big production, like all the sponsors to make it bigger, right? So I just show up to this camp. I asked my coach, my coach is like, don't go to the camp because you're not ready. I'm like, eh. <laughs> the one thing they tell me is no, I'm gonna go. So I show up on the day and, and they're asking me, who is this kid? I'm like, I told them who I was and they asked me how old I was. I was like, I'm like 13. I was like 6'5". They're like, you're 13? 6'5", 6'6"? I'm like, no way. I'm like, it's true. They're like, do you have any proof? I'm like, well, my aunt works here. <laughs> so you want me to go get her? They're like, go get her. So I go get my aunt. And she comes in like, yeah, this is my nephew. And he's not lying. They're like, oh, sucks. They hit dollar signs coming up in their eyes. Man, they're like, oh, sucks. So they pulled me to camp. And I could not walk into bubblegum. I was terrible. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I used to be very bad at basketball when I first started. It was, it was actually kind of horrible. <laughs> right? And then... um. Got me to the camp, and I think this though this enamored in the fact that I really wanted to learn. And I just I was so open to the fact of learning something that I'd never done before, and I just took everything with grace. So then from that, how long was it until you moved to the United States? Um I moved to the United States when I was 15, going on 16. Um it was originally my it was supposed to be my my mom. My brother was born here, so he had to come a couple of years prior. He was in Indiana, and it was supposed to be my myself, my mother, and my younger brother supposed to come, but due to the immigration process, because I already had a scholarship, they didn't want to hinder me. So they said, you know what, we're going to ship you by yourself, 15-year-old kid, go by yourself and, you know, go to America and go figure it out. And that's what happened. Did you speak English at that point? Yes. Okay. So a lot of people don't know this, but Nigeria was colonized by the British. Okay. Yeah, so English is the first language. We have other languages that we speak, but... Yeah, because I just, right before, I heard you speaking in a different so, language than other guys, yeah, so, so I wasn't so, sure. So, that, so that's my native tongue. It's called Yoruba, okay. which is another language, which is one of, which is the one of the primary languages in Nigeria, which is, which is what I speak, but I also speak English as well. So is your family here now? Uh, no. No, really? They're still yes. in Nigeria? My mom and my brother's in Nigeria. My dad's in Nigeria. My older brother and his daughters live in Indiana, though. So I get to see them every now and then when I go up there for a live show. So where did you move when you came out here? I <laughs> so originally, I was supposed to move to, I was supposed to go to Montverde in Florida, okay. which is one of the top prep schools in the country, right? And then something happened with the immigration process. It got delayed. And then it got switched to Marshall's Christian in Maryland. Okay. Markville, Maryland, which is the same high school Kevin Durant went to. The same coach. So I go there. This is January 8th, 2008. Man, it's cold as heck. I've <laughs> never seen winter in my life. This is my first time seeing snow. And it was a huge weather shock. <laughs> Would you say that was the biggest culture shock that you had to deal with oh, when you got yeah, out oh here? Oh my God, it was because being in Nigeria, it's, Nigeria is like Texas and Florida, right? It's, it rains, it's sunny all around, it's humid. So I'm used to that type of weather. But to go to a state where it's freezing and it's snow. And I remember my dad had ordered some like winter stuff for me from Dubai. And I, I was like, okay, this should work. And I got at the airport, I'm like, nah, this is not good enough. <laughs> I need something else. This is not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> In that same article, I talked. I, I laughed because it, it gave a frame of reference of like how long ago this was. Because it says that, you know, you went into a store and you bought a Zoom player. Oh my god! Because you, you wanted something <laughs> out here, and I was like, God, I haven't heard the term Zoom player in so long. So, uh, so the story that was when I was in Nigeria, my cousin, I had cousins, more after cousins who would travel overseas that would come back, right? And when they would come back home, someone came with, a, with an iPod video, the video one, and I was just so enamored of this little thing you like this, so you can. You guys remember the old iPod, you can twist, you know, the little circle and dot, and you can watch the music videos on it. And I was just like, this is amazing. So I wanted one, but we couldn't afford it. And I remember when I came, 
my parents and my family put $1,000 in my sock when I got on that flight, right? And I had a layover in Atlanta. So I got lost in the airport. This is my flight, so I'm stuck in Atlanta. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I might as well go see, you know, see some shopping. I see the, uh, what's the name of this place called? The Info, the little electronic shop at the airports. What's it called? Where do they say electronics at the airport? Okay. It's, a, it's a major one. I forget the name. I'm having a brain fart. But I see it. I'm like, oh, they probably sell iPods here. So I go there. I'm like, do you have an iPod? And they're like, oh, it's Christmas. It's a holiday. So we all sold. I'm like, okay, what's the next best thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, we have an iPod Zoom. I look at it, and if, if you remember the iPod, I'm sorry, the Microsoft Zoom. Oh, yeah. It looks very similar. It looks exactly the same, yeah. <laughs> like the, the iPod video. So I'm like, oh, it's cool. Does it do the same thing? Like, yeah. It was like, how many gigs is it? It was like 120 gigs. I'm like, okay, give it to me. So I bought it. So that's how I bought a Zoom. I love that your parents in the, in the village you came from, Nigeria, gave you $1,000 on your way out as like emergency money to like, hold on to since you were going to the United States alone, and you were like, great, Zoom, let's do it. I mean, what do you... <laughs> <laughs> like, I that's mean, what you like, food I, money for a few months. I you mean, know? what do you think? You give a 50-year-old that <laughs> lot of money, what do you think is gonna happen? <laughs> what were some other things that you did to get acclimated to the United States? Man, that... Come again? What are some other things that you did, like when you got out here, that were just like a trip to you, or that you did to get acclimated to being out here? Delivery service. Yeah. That was a shock. Getting food delivered was different. I remember having, because I had to lay up in Atlanta, and it was like, I could order food and then deliver it to your hotel room. I'm like, really? Ordered <laughs> me a box of pizza, some wings. I, I didn't know what I'm ordering, you know? So I'm just, I'm like, it was amazing just to have that type of service. We don't have that in Nigeria. Back then, they do now, but back then, that was non void. That was not available. So I read the article on you, but for these people here who didn't, it's a great article, by the way. Go check it out. It's really interesting. It has a bunch of info on him. But uh, tell them about how you found out that you had the tumor on your pituitary gland. So I remember um, I went to the University of South Florida in Tampa, and I had, I had a partial clarification from the NCAA that year, which meant that I could practice with the team, but I couldn't travel and play games, right? So I had a year off. I just come up with an ACL injury. So I was rehabbing and practicing, and I remember one of the home games right before Max Madness, um, we were playing Cincinnati, we won the game, and then um, the next day, it was, a, it was a game on Sunday, and that Monday, um, we go to regular, do everything, study hall, practice, classes, and then go to practice, and I go to the, to the training room to get taped. And then the, one of the trainers tells me, hey, the coach wants to see you, and I'm not a very competitional person, so I'm like, oh, sucks. What did I do? You know? I said, let's go upstairs. So I go upstairs, and he's like, hey, um, take a seat. So I got this email this morning, and I want you to read it. And it was an email from, from a doctor. His name is Dr. David Vesely. And the president, it was sent to the president of the university. Dang. And my coach was CC'd in the email. Crazy. Right? And my coach said to me, I don't know who this guy is, but he seems a very high up guy on, on, the, on the campus. But I want you to look at this email. So I read it, and it just said that, hey, I noticed that one of your guys uh, told Lockley, you know, that's my first name, Omar Benheen, you know, big guy, but I think he has a tumor by the size of his face and the size of his hands, and he has a pituitary tumor, and he needs to get checked out ASAP. And I'm reading this email like, no way, I'm fine. And I looked at my coach, he's like, what do you think? I said, I don't think I have anything, but hey, I'm going to do it just so I can have my peace of mind. I tried to shut him up. Uh, now Wednesday, they set up an MRI appointment. I go to the MRI. It takes about a couple of days. That following Monday, I come to practice. 
go to the trainer's room. They're like, nah, go upstairs to the coach's office. I walk into the coach's office. It's the president of the university. The, all the doctors are in there, all the students are in there. And like, so uh, this is the MRI right here, right, of your brain. And you see that little speck right there? I'm like, yep, you say you have a brain tumor. I'm just like, oh, Lord. And they said, we don't know whether it's benign or it's a cancerous tumor. And we're going to have to put you on the science of and figure out how to deal with this. So it was a little bit of a shock um, to me because, you know, when you take ACL, you can always come back and control it. You can do rehab and, you know, get stronger and faster. And I told my ACL twice, but it's cool. I was like, that's easy. This one was such a curveball because it was out of my control. I could not literally control anything. And I remember I had to do the first surgery <laughs> that year. And it was, that was, uh, that was very, very trying for me because. How long after the MRI was that? Um, literally a month, okay. a month and a half. I had the surgery and it had to go through my nose. And it was, it was very, very traumatic because I remember coming back because what happens is and you guys don't know this, but when you have a, there's a thing in your brain called the pituitary, right? And when you have a tumor, it messes with all your hormones, right? Your hormones, you know, so testosterone, estrogen, if you're a woman. Um, and when they went, also your thyroid as well. And when they go in there to take out this tumor, there's a very, very high likelihood that it messes up, it messes up your hormones in totality, right? And when they went, when, when they had that surgery done, it did, right? So I had the surgery in 2012, which is my freshman year. And come to find out my IGF-1 levels, which is, so when you have a pituitary tumor, your body produces too much growth hormones and it makes you larger, right? Yep. But in the process of doing the testing, they found out that not only did I have the pituitary tumor, I had the gigantism and I had partial, I had partial Cushing's disease which is very rare. In, what is, and what's that? So it's different forms of large human beings, okay. but it's like different variations. And I had all, com all three combinations. Like Andre had um, um, agromegaly, which is one of them. And I have that. Dang. But I had the other three combined with it. So my case was very, very unique. And it was the first time in, the, um, in medical history that I'd seen someone with, that, with all three together. Wow. Right? So it became, it became, I became this sort of, uh, Anomaly in the medical world, like oh my god, especially to endocrinologists. Like, so you're like in medical books, probably. Pretty much, I had, a, I had a journal published about me about, about my case, um, and it was weird because they were like, "This is weird." I've had, I've had professors ask me to come be their student so they can, you know, they can talk to me and you know, you know, just get feedback because it's rare that you find a patient like me very rare. So um, that threw a curveball in there, and I remember having the first surgery and I was doing well. But they found out that my IGF, my levels weren't coming down. So I had to do another surgery again the following year. And how long from the first surgery was that? That was a year apart, literally. So I had to do another surgery again. And once I did that surgery, all my hormonal levels literally started. Excuse my language, it's crap. <laughs> it's okay, Randy Orton was here already. Yes. He already okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. All my hormonal levels just went to crap. So um, even after the second surgery, my levels weren't really down. So I'm still on medication to this day for my my, for my tumor to help with my levels so that way I don't keep on growing. And also, my body doesn't produce any testosterone, so I have to actually take testosterone to help me Crazy. because of that tumor. There's a lot of things that affect it, even my thyroid. So uh, it threw that, it taught me a lesson that I can't control everything. That was because it was completely out of my hands. There's, there's literally nothing I could do, right? 
and it kind of got me down for a, for a while. Like it, I had to get used to living with it, but I think now I'm, I'm, I'm used to living with it. It's part of my, I, I have accepted it. And where did the part about you almost going blind come in? So before I had the surgery, I used to wear glasses, right? And when I, when I did the MRI, they found out the tumor was pressing against my optical nerves. Oh, right? man. And the I remember the doctor told me, you have literally a month or two months away from going blind. Either going blind, having a cardiac arrest, or having a heart attack. Whew. Well, that's terrible three right? options. Yeah, so it was like, they're like, so we need to get this done as soon as possible. Whew. Like, as soon as possible. And imagine a 18, 18-year-old kid and all this being dumped on you all at once. Right? It, it was just, it was very, very overwhelming. God, and only a few years after you'd been here. Yep, literally. And I didn't know I had it. They said you probably had it for like 10, 12 years of your life. I didn't even know. Like, did you go to the doctor a lot when you were in Nigeria? I did for the black. So now, now that, let me double back. Now the blackouts make sense. Now, yeah, of course. Now, now, now I think about it, it makes sense. Because back then, they just thought I was growing. They couldn't find anything. And maybe that's because they don't have the technology to figure it out back there. But literally, coming to America saved my life. Shh. Give it up for that, man, right? Crazy story, right? Whew. Well, I'm glad that you had your life saved. That's, nope. <laughs> that's crazy. So it's been almost 10 years now. Uh, I think 13. 13, crazy. Crazy, man, that's nuts. Okay, well, had you ever watched WWE prior to all this? So I watched apparently my grandmother was a huge fan of, because the region where she's from, they love all things wrestling. Like wrestling is like the national sport where she's from. Right, so she'll watch it, WCW, WWE, all of that. She used to watch all that stuff. So I used to watch it with her. But once I got into basketball, basketball became my main focus. But every now and then, I would like tune in and watch, you know. But it wasn't something I really watched constantly. So then how thankful are you, though, that eventually the doors got open to you at the Performance Center? Man, that is, it's such a, when I think about it, because when, when I first came to this country, right, I used to play, uh, I don't know how, you familiar, uh, how familiar you with, uh, Grassroots basketball, like AAU basketball and all that stuff. Not really. So um, I played AAU basketball, all college athletes who played basketball at a high level play, right? And I remember one of my coaches, his name is Doug Martin, um, <laughs> he used to say, if basketball doesn't work out, we're going to take your big ass to Connecticut and we're going to have it go meet Vince. And I just always shrugged it off and it just always annoyed me because I really wanted to play basketball as my focus, right? And he used to say it, say it, say it. And then once I went to South Florida, my, one of the assistant coaches who recruited me there is a huge mark. Like he loves, I'm talking about like, he can, from the, from the 70s, he can go, he goes crazy for this stuff, right? And he say, well, basketball doesn't work out. We're gonna take you to Connecticut. And this is, ah, it's all good. So now I'm in college, I meet Steve Kern. He's from the uh, FCW in Tampa. And he tried to get me to come, still playing basketball. I'm like, you know what? I'll come back to that later. Tried to go overseas, that didn't work out. And then was living in California, California, San Diego for a while, then moved back. And then um, my best friend was like, hey, why don't you reach out to WWE and see if they have, have a job for you. And that's, this, that's, how that, that's how that happened. If not, for my, if not for my best friend, his name is Jeremy Warren, I would have never reached out. I feel like when Kenyon Seaman got that email and he Googled your name and saw how big you were, he was like, oh yeah, this is a winner right here. Yeah, because I had come before, after my city in South Florida, I had come, I had tried to come for a trial in 2014. Yeah, I got my ticket because I was in Florida, Florida, got my ticket, got me the hotel, everything, right? And then due to 
the former NCAA rules, like they like to say, I couldn't take the, I couldn't take the trip because that'll be considered a gift. Okay. So I had to like put it on the back burner, and I completely forgot about it, like literally. So I remember when I reached out to, excuse me, Canyon again. He was like, Hey, how you doing? And it was great because like once my best friend told me to email him, I did. I had to go scour through my emails, finally emailed him, and it took about a week before he responded back to me. I'm like, Oh, this is not gonna work. This is like, oh, no, okay. I, I, I reached out, but I said, that's not going to work. I remember on Sunday, actually, yeah, Sunday evening around 5 o'clock, I was, I was dog sitting with my fiance, and I get an email back from Ken <laughs> saying, like, hey, how you doing? Long time. What are you up to? I'm like, hey, I'm in Tampa. I'm not, really do, not doing anything. He was like, okay, um, what's the schedule like tomorrow? Oh, whoa. I'm like, I'm dog sitting, but I can make it to wherever it is. He's like, hey, come to online. I'm like, sure. At this point in time, I don't have the license because I don't have my paperwork yet. So my fiance had to drive me at 6 a.m. in the morning from Tampa to Orlando to the performance center for my tryout. Wow. Yeah. Was it just you trying out alone? It was just me. They just brought me in one day for a tryout. They put me um, in a class with the guys. I remember who was in that class with me. I, mem I remember Rich Holland was in that class with me vividly. We came in, they rolled it, they, I was rolling in. Did the stuff. I remember my coaches for that trial was uh, Johnny Moss and Robbie Brookside. And I remember doing that tryout and not knowing what to expect. And then I always say, I think if I had any other coaches other than Robbie Brookside and, and, and uh, Johnny Moss, I don't think I ever would have took the shot. But those two guys literally let me be free in the ring. And that was the first time I actually felt that I could be my full, complete self without trying to fit in the box of what people think of me. I could really be expressive as much as I wanted. I could really be aggressive and not hold back. Because I remember doing that to people telling me, we want more, give us more. And for the first time, for the first time I'm saying myself, this is the first time someone has, has asked me that to give me more of myself. And, and you've been trying to downplay yourself your whole life. Yes, and that felt so, even I'm getting goosebumps. That felt so liberating to do that. Like I just, and I just felt the emotion, and after that child, I, I fell in love. I was like, "This is what I'm supposed to do." <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked earlier about you know how your brother is more of the natural athlete. One yes. lesson, he's got it down. Yes. You not so much. So then, how long would you say it took you before you like started to kind of get it a little bit? I'm still trying to get it, man. I'm yeah. a sponge, man. I don't, I, you know, I'm I'm a believer of the moment you stop learning. You start progressing, so I'm always learning. This business is so nuanced that I think even the, the people who you think at the top of the top are always learning, because you always have to keep on learning. If not, it's, then you can't call yourself the best. Michael Kobe Bryant, one of my favorite players, had to keep on, he used to shoot, do the basics. Shoot free throws, do footwork drills, which is very, very simple and basic, but those are the foundational things that you need to be at the top of, of the game. Yeah, I saw a recent, I saw, I saw a clip recently where it was an old Kobe interview and he was talking about, someone was saying to him like, oh, you know, like talent, like isn't, it has to be natural in order to be good. And Kobe was like, no, it's practice. Like I, you practice every day. Like if you really want it and you practice enough, like you can get it. No, absolutely. And he's hundred percent, he's hundred percent right on that because I, it's just, it's just the willingness to wanting to put the work in and just the commitment and, the commitment to it. And if you believe that you can do it, man, it's all yours for the taking.
Now, I know you've gotten some advice from other big men when you were at the Performance Center. What, yes. is, what, are, what are some of the things that people like Kevin Nash and The Undertaker told you when you kind of tried to pick their brain? Protect my size. Protect my size. Because I, I'm very unique. I'm not like everybody. I'm not like anybody else. I'm not even like them. So I have to do what I can to protect my size. That's, that definitely makes sense. Yes. What was it like working with AJ Styles for the past year? Man, AJ Styles, man. I can go on about how amazing and wonderful that man is. He has been such a blessing to me, not only in the ring, but outside of the ring. He has become my big brother. Um, I can talk to him about anything. We have long talks and even us being separated now, I should actually see back on everything because I truly have uh, reverence for him. Since you've had so many coaches in your life, uh, what kind of a coach was he? Was he a tough coach on you? He was all of the above. He knew when to be stern. He knew when to be empathetic. He knew when, he knew when to back off and just listen and let me talk. He was, he, he, he's a great teacher. Were you nervous about splitting from it all? I, I was. And not because I couldn't go on my own, because I felt like there was so, I personally thought there was a lot more that we could have done, but I also understood that it was time for me to go on my own way. I wish we could have just done some more things, because I thought we could have done some really, really cool stuff. I'm waiting for the match against you guys, like on paper, like a full program, you know, between the two guys. I'm excited for that. That's, go that's going to be a lot of fun, but also that's, that's going to be emotional for both of us. I'm trying to just talk up thinking about it, because I really have genuine love for that guy. What would you say is the, be the, the biggest lesson that he instilled in you? Always learning. Because he's, he's he, he, one thing people don't know about AJ Styles, he is a learner. He can learn from anybody, no matter the experience. Like he always wants to learn and learn and learn and learn. And for someone who has accomplished so much in this business, that is so inspirational and admiring to see. Yeah, I love seeing people that are at the top that, that aren't you know comfortable being at the top and still always feel like, they have to keep getting better. I mean, the first time I had AJ on this show, when I look at AJ, I see one of the best wrestlers on the planet, right? Oh, That's how you guys feel too, right? Oh, easily, yeah. easily. And, but when I said that to him, he was like, I don't know if I see myself that way. Like, I don't know if I like look at myself as one of the best in the world. And I was like, really? Like AJ Styles doesn't see himself as one of the best in the world? Because he, he is. So it's interesting to, to hear from your perspective too like that. Yeah, he's, he is, man. He's, he's, he's shit is phenomenal. No pun intended. <laughs> All right, so tonight you got WrestleMania. How are you feeling with Bobby Lashley? Oh, man, I'm feeling amazing, man. I'm feeling great. This is a big moment for me. And we're just going to go out there and tear the house down. So uh, when, you, when you found out you were going to have a singles match at WrestleMania, what kind of emotions were going through you? All of the emotions, everything. It was a surreal moment like, OK, they love you. This is your time. This is your time to step out of AJ's shadow and truly, be, truly set yourself as a mainstay in the WWE universe. I feel like, you know, your progression from last year now has been so great. I mean, but, but you were very dominant last year at WrestleMania. Um, Thank you. I'm interested. I want to see if you can be as dominant against someone like Bobby Lashley. Come on, man. Look at me. Look at Bobby. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. All right, well, I like to end every episode with a segment I call the finishing move where I talk to my guests about their finishing move. So who's your favorite person to hit yours on? Mm, Montez Ford. Any particular reason? He's a freak of nature. We have a joke, myself and Shin Helms, from um, Cena show uh, Peacemaker, uh -huh. where we call guys butterflies. Okay. We think he's a butterfly. <laughs> um, does your finishing move have a name yet? 
that's a double choke bomb. Are yeah. you are you working on a name at all? Thinking about it. Any ideas so far? Anything that you try, like that you would like it to be? No. no. Everything, I'm terrible at coming up with names. <laughs> so everything to me on paper looks corny. But I'm working on it though. Okay. It's a walk in progress. Tweet him if you guys have any suggestions. Yes, Let please know. tweet me. Please. Uh, and lastly, what's the most memorable time that you've hit your finishing move on someone up to this point? Last year in Miami against against MVP and Bobby Lash. Any particular reason? He was a champ at the time. I got to hit my finisher, move on him, and then I'm going to hit it on him again today. That's why. Hell yeah. All right, give it up for almost everyone. Thank you so much for giving the time Thank today. Thank you. All right, that's it. We're done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character.